in our second part on our new series in prayer. And so I'm not real sure how many parts there are to this series, but there's a few. So you just keep coming. We'll find out. You'll find out um, where we're going. But one of the things I want you to understand about all of us in here, no matter where you're from, even if you grew up in the Philippines and you've only been in the U.S. for four days, like we have a family here today with us, they just landed, and they're in Lander after four days of being in the U.S., and they're in our church. That is awesome. Okay? But all of us, regardless of, of where we've grown up, we've all had to deal with the same process and struggle of learning how to speak. We aren't born with the ability to speak. We're not born with an, uh, a, a formula that's been put in us to develop words and sentences or to formulate words and sentences. As a matter of fact, every word we learn as a child is a response to hearing that word. Language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. So we're plunged at birth, like Ezekiel is, into a sea of language. His mom and dad are talking to him all the time, and he's like, I don't get it. And, and then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capability to answer. And pretty soon, those little gaffers are saying, Mama, Daddy, bottle, blanket. Yes, no. And they know that one really well. You share, no. Now, not one of these words that they speak is a first word. All speech is answering speech. We are all spoken to before we, are, before we speak. Studies have shown that children's ability to understand and communicate is pro- profoundly affected by the number of words and breadth of vocabulary to which they are exposed as infants and toddlers. So we speak only to the degree that we're spoken to. So if you still have, you know, a 14-year-old and you're called, you know, you go, do you want some food? Did a little baby want some food? <laughs> Mommy, daddy, when they're in, in high school, they're just going to get beat up. So have mercy on your child. Don't talk to them like little babies all the time. Now, there's some phenomenon that's been going on for quite some time. It didn't happen when we had our kids. But I've noticed it, particularly with my own children and my own grandbabies. They're, They're speaking now, but they're not using words. They're using sign language. And so once a week, we FaceTime with P out in California and Ava. But I noticed this more with Priscilla because she's a little bit older than Ava is. And Priscilla will be on FaceTime with us and she will want something and she does this. And and you're going like, you know, and we can't do anything because we're, you know, we're a thousand miles away and she can see us and talk to us. That's what she does. But when she wants something, that's the noise she makes and she points. And then she goes like this. You know what that means? more. And so her mom says, Priscilla, what do you want? And she's going, more. And she gets frantic about it. It's like, uh, uh, uh. and you're like, and then all of a sudden she does this. And it's like, 
please. So more please. And then when you finally figure out what it is that she wants, then she does this. Thank you. That is the craziest stuff I've ever seen. That kid's not going to talk till they're 30. <laughs> Unbelievable. Those poor kids. Man. Shoot, by the time our kids were two, they were cursive writing. Some of you don't know what cursive writing is. It's never mind. But here's the thing that Priscilla and Ava and all the little babies that we have in this church are going to learn. They are going to learn how to communicate. And they will communicate, communicate to the breadth and understanding that they're communicated to. They're not going to learn it and then bring it back to us. I mean, they're not going to read a book on how to speak and how to, how to communicate well. They're going to learn it by what mom and dad, grandmas and grandpas, family and friends do with them. And so the more you speak to those little babies, and, you know, it probably doesn't really help Ezekiel to, to talk to him about the propitiation that Jesus brought into his life for the redemption of his soul. He's going to go like, what? He's not going to get it. So you have to use vocabulary. You have to talk to them. And you have to understand that, that their language and, able, and ability to communicate will be to the determining place of how much they are spoken to and at what length they're spoken to. So if we speak only to the degree we are spoken to in our relationship with others, then it is the same thing in our relationship with God. We can only speak to God in the same way that God speaks to us. We can only communicate back to God what God communicates to us. And so it's kind of like what we started last week when we started on this whole study on prayer. We can, um, we have As an instinct, prayer is a response to an innate, fragmentary knowledge of God. It's like sticking a note in a bottle, and the note says, whatever gods there be, and you throw the bottle into the ocean. That's the instinct. We kind of have that naturally in us. But as a gift from the Spirit, however, prayer becomes the continuation of a conversation that God started with us. He's the one that initiated the conversation and now he wants us to respond back to him by having a conversation with him and that conversation we often will call prayer. It's that conversation becomes a meeting with God where heaven is in the ordinary. In order for us to have a conversation with God, God has to be a personal God. He has to have the the capability to be in community, to know how to love, both in giving and receiving. He has to be able to to, um, communicate to a deep level and have a, a competence of understanding and a competence of being understood. That's what God's communication does. Now, the great thing is, is that Our understanding of God as we know him comes from the fact that he's a very personable God. And and he wants us to get to know him. In our understanding of God, we know God as a triune God, meaning God is 
one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our God is great and mighty, and there isn't anything He lacks as a triune God. He has known love, how to love one another. From the, from the eternity past, from the beginning of time, God has always known how to love. And if God is triune, then words and languages are seen in a new light. God has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We find that in the Bible. But they've lived in perfect harmony. They've lived in perfect love. They've lived in perfect unity, in perfect community, in perfect communion. So God did not create us because he needed something from us. He wasn't lacking something. He he created us because he is delighted in us. That's why we're created. We're created because God finds great delight in us, not because he needs us. Now, I know some of, some of you might be shocked to the fact that God doesn't need you. It's true. But here's the thing we do know about God is that he has used words and language to make himself known. I want you to remember back with me. In, it's recorded in all of the Gospels, but it is the baptism of Jesus. It's really interesting to me that Jesus goes down to the Jordan River and he runs into his cousin, John the Baptist, and he asks John the Baptist to baptize him. The reason why this is really interesting is because if there's anybody that never needed to be baptized for the forgiveness of sin is what, is which, what John the Baptist was doing was repent and be baptized is what he was saying. Jesus didn't need that because what does he have to repent of? Nothing. He's perfect. But he goes down to fulfill, to fulfill Scripture and he has John the Baptist baptize him. And it says this in Matthew 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. This is a perfect picture of the triune God. We have Jesus the Son being obedient to the Father, being baptized. We have the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And then the voice from heaven, God the Father, makes this declaration, proclamation about who Jesus is. He says, this is my beloved son. This is the one that I love. He has been with me from the beginning. He has always been here. And then he says, I love him so much and and I am well pleased with him. Now, did Jesus need to hear those words from God? No. He's already been with God for eternity. He's already been there. They've already shared in their love. They've already shared in community. They've already shared in communion with one another and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus didn't need to hear those words. The reason why God gave those words was for the benefit of those who were with Jesus at the river. They needed to hear God say, this is my son, I love him. I'm really happy he's with you. 
I'm so pleased that he, he, he made the decision as I asked him to come from heaven to earth to live among you. He said, yeah, I'll do that. I'm so pleased he's there. That's the message God was giving about Jesus to the humans who were standing around. And they're all going like, wow, that is unbelievable. And so one of the other great things about this passage in Matthew is it gives us a clear picture of the relationship of our triune God. There's the Father who's speaking, there's the Son who's receiving, and there's the Spirit who's descending. And if you ever want to go back and you want to have that little, in your, that little tool in your tool pouch about when people go like, well, there's only, you know, God. No, there's the Father, Son. Well, how, where does the Bible say that? Well, it says it in Matthew chapter 3. And, and you've got that with you. So we, we see that, that God has communicated from heaven to earth for the, for the purpose of those around to know who Jesus is. Now, if you go back into... John chapter 17, the Gospel of John, that is where Jesus prays his, what is called the high priestly prayer. This is just before he's going to go to the cross and be crucified. And so Jesus, in this high priestly prayer, we get to have a glimpse into the conversation that Jesus is having with his Father through this prayer. And there's a lot of things packed into it. It's a powerful chapter to read, to be sure. And you should read it at some point. But I just want to highlight a couple of things in John chapter 17. Verse 5, it says, And now, this is Jesus speaking, And now, Father, glorify me in your, uh, in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So before this planet was ever made, before anything ever happened to in creation, Jesus had a glory with the Father, and he's asking him to return that glory to him as he heads to the cross. I want that glory that I had before the world existed. And he's talking about his existence before the world was ever created, and it's the glory of the Trinity. Now if you look at verse 8, It says, for I have given them, this is still Jesus, for I have given them, that's you and me, the them there is us there. So I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and they have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. You see, that's how we know that Jesus is is praying for us is because we have heard the words of God We believe that Jesus was sent from God and we believe that God sent him to us or to the world. And so Jesus is praying for us. But the thing that is important for us to understand and take a look at is that little phrase, the words that you gave me. You see, Jesus received words from the Father and then he turned around and he passed those words on to the disciples and on to the writers of the New Testament. They received the word from Jesus and Jesus declares it. He receives it from the Father. He declares it on to us and then the Holy Spirit enlightens us to understand what Jesus says. And you're wondering where is that found? Well, it is found in, first, in um, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 2. Here's what Paul wrote. 
and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Do you ever wonder why there are people that read the Bible and they just don't get it? It's because they're not spiritual. They're spiritually dead. There's nothing alive in them. And that's what what Paul's talking about is, is that the way we understand God's Word is as we read it, the Holy Spirit empowers us in our minds to understand what God's Word is saying to us at that moment, right there and then, because we're spiritually alive, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. I want you to also remember that Paul and the rest of the disciples were being obedient to what Jesus told them to do. Because what Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples and then I want you to baptize them and then I want you to teach them to obey all that I've taught you. What did Jesus teach the disciples? The entire Bible. Genesis all the way through. And then he inspired some of them to continue to write so that we would have a better understanding of Jesus, the work that he's called us to do, what it means to live and walk in newness with Jesus. And so we have this whole thing laid out here for us where where words are so incredibly important and powerful. And where, you know, there's the importance of teaching and that we read these words and then we hear the words from God found in the Bible and the Spirit then imparts wisdom to us on those words. If you go back now to John chapter 17, in Jesus' prayer as he's praying for us, he says to, Jesus, to, to the Father, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. So how are we sanctified? We're sanctified by the Word of God. That's what it does for us. And so there's two things I want us to see in this community of the Trinity. The first thing is, within the Trinity, for all eternity, there has been communication by words. The Father speaks to the Son. The Son speaks to the Father. The Father and the Son speak to the Holy Spirit. It's divine discourse. You see, God uh, the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit didn't start doing something that they had never done until the creation of men. God, the Spirit, and the Son were talking to one another. They were having communication with one another before they created anything, before they created man with whom they're going to have a conversation. They were already having this conversation. It wasn't out of character. They didn't do it out of necessity. They did it because that's who they are. They are communicators. They use the word. Their word is life. And that's what they do. And so here in our series on prayer, the question might come to us, Oh, what the second thing is. The second thing about the Trinity is that it has existed always. Existed perfectly, lacking nothing, needing nothing from anyone, anywhere. And we were created out of joy, not necessity. So, the question comes to us then, 
What does all this communication between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have to do with prayer? That is a really good question. I'm glad you asked it. So it kind of comes back to what, we, what I first said when I was giving my introduction to our talk is that we learn to speak as we are spoken to. And remember, I've often said that what is true in the physical realm of life is also true in the spiritual realm of life. So our children, children learn how to speak in this world as we communicate to them. As we say words to them, we say, who's that? Is that daddy? Is that daddy? Is that daddy? Pretty soon I look and they go, no, that's the mailman. No, that's daddy. He brings the mail in from the from the outside. And then all of a sudden they go, that's daddy and your mommy. And this is baby. And that's doggy. And they start to put this together word by word by word. All of a sudden they're putting sentences together and phrases together. And the next thing you know, they're off to school. And after that, they graduate and they go off to university and move out of your house and you're praising Jesus all the way. <laughs> Don't praise for too long because they do come back even when they're 25 or so. Hey, did you... I'm taking a rabbit trip. Did you see that nonsense of the 30-year-old guy that had to have a, a court order to get kicked out of his mom and dad's house? They were going to pay him a 1000 bucks to leave. I should have moved back home when I was 30. I could have gotten a 1000 bucks from my mom and dad. Wow. Anyway, Andy, don't be like that. All right. So what we want to know is that God uses words to communicate with us. His words are significant. They're powerful and they carry a purpose. For instance, let's just take creation. That's the first place that we were introduced when we pick up the Bible and we because most people, when they pick up the Bible, they start in Genesis. And they think, I'm going to read this book from cover to cover until they hit numbers. And then they're going like, oh, man. <laughs> but in Genesis, I'm just going to give you a little snapshot of it. Genesis 1, 11 through 13. And, it, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Not a plug for sprouts greenhouse. Just, it's what it says. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on earth. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and the trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. This is the greatest thing. It is so mind-boggling, mind-blowing to think that God, in His wisdom, as He is creating, and by the way, take a look in Genesis, you're going to see a picture, a snapshot again, of the Trinity at work, because God's the architect, Jesus is the, the builder, and the Holy Spirit is the empowerer, okay? And so, you, you see that, particularly when, they're, when God's going to um, form Adam and Eve and make mankind. He says, let us make man in our image. So we are the image bearers of God. Whether you love God or not, you can't get away from God because you're bearing his image. <laughs> Those poor atheists, man, they just can't get away from God. 
You're an image bearer of God. Oh! Anyway, so back to this. This is really great because God, what, what didn't happen is God didn't call Jesus and the Holy Spirit together and go, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create. Now, we're going to make an earth. We're going to put vegetation on it. We're going to put animals on it. We're going to put fruit trees because fruit's really good. We're going to create a moon and the sun and some stars and water and, you know, and, and we're just going to create. And then, okay, now let's find something to create it with. That's not what happened. What happened is God said, let there be vegetation. Guess what happened? Vegetation. Scientists can't get their heads around it, so they create evolution to make up for it. Oh, my goodness. You talk about taking faith. It takes a lot of faith to believe that nonsense. But it is that God spoke something, and it happened. By the way, God didn't speak it out of thin air. God created thin air. God spoke it out of nothing into something. He spoke Human beings, he created and formed them and breathed life into Adam and then took his rib and made Eve. God spoke it and he said it was good. He did it. And so that's what his words do. They have power behind them. When he says it, it is done. Now I want to go to Isaiah 55 where I read from this morning, but I skipped this section because I didn't want to give it away. And it says in verses 10 through 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now that's astounding to me because God has purposed every one of his words to do something. And then they will do it. They will accomplish what God has assigned the task to be done. And this is the place where I know 100% success. God says it's going to succeed. It's going to succeed. It's God's word. It goes out. It does something in the hearts and the lives of people. We don't know what it does. But every time that the word is preached, every time somebody picks up a Bible and starts to read it, every time somebody puts on headphones and they hear the word of God coming into their head, every time God's word goes out, it produces something that God intended for it to do. And a lot of times, we don't ever get to see what it is. God didn't promise that you're going to see what's happening. He just said, you believe me because I'm telling you right now that when my word goes out, it is going to do something in someone's life. I was talking with a couple a couple months ago. And they're fairly new to our area. They live in Lander. And they started attending our church. And they came in and we were talking in my office. And so I I just thought, okay, so what's your faith journey? Well, actually, you know, um, I'm kind of a nominal Catholic. My parents are Catholic, but they're both drug addicts and stoned out of their minds, and so they didn't ever take me to church. And the guy's like, well, I never, my parents really weren't into it. So 
tell me about coming to faith then. Oh, we were saying, we came, you know, we came to church, sat down in church, and all of a sudden you were preaching the Word of God, and we both went like, we need Jesus in our lives, don't we? Wow! You mean in, in our church? Yeah. God's Word was preached, and we heard it, and we responded to it. Wow. So God is correct in what He says. Now, here's the other thing, is, is that Sometimes what happens when people start to think about prayer, because we're talking about God's Word. God's Word is the the basis, the essence of our prayer life. But sometimes I've heard people just talking about, and you heard me say it this morning, what was the first thing I asked you to do before we got into the Word? I wanted you to, to focus your attention on Jesus. I wanted you to push away all the other thoughts. I wanted you to recenter your heart, your soul, your mind on who Jesus is. Notice I didn't ask you to empty your mind and go to nowhere land. I didn't ask you to think about nothing. I didn't ask you not to stop thinking. I didn't say just get into the spirit and stop thinking. Because that contradicts what scripture says. Because that's what, what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. In other words, what God wants us to do is he wants us to connect with him both with our spirit and with our mind. He doesn't want you to check your brain at the door. He wants you to come in and he wants you to think about what it means to walk with God. He wants you to think about the words that are spoken from the Word of God. When you see the words flashed up here on the screen, like this verse right here, He wants you to look at it. He wants you to think about it. He wants you to take notice of what's being said. He wants you to uh, digest that into your entire being to think about those things. When we are singing praises, He doesn't want it just to be a rote thing. Just because you know the song doesn't mean you sing it mindlessly. He he wants us, God seriously wants us to step into what he's doing and use our intellect as well. When God uses words, we pray and we will find that it creates a precise prayer. When we use God's words, it's different than when we just kind of get together and we start thinking about my words and what I want God to do, and I'm praying my agenda, my words, my everything, it's going to have a, a, a far less of a, a, an effect in my life than when I start to take God's word and I start to read it, I start to understand it, and I, and I see that it says right here in Isaiah 55, I mean, I'm just picking this up, and it says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And I'm like, God has something for me. He's telling me. And so I start praying and I say, God, you've you've given me the invitation to come to you. You've called me right here in Isaiah. You've told me to come and get something from you. I want what you have for me. That's different than coming and going like, God, here's my list of things you need to give to me. One is focused 
on the words, on the work of God. The other is focused on selfish needs. Now, does that mean we're not supposed to bring supplication and things like that to God? No, that's not what the Bible says at all. And that's not what I am saying. But what I am saying is, is that God's word has a way of working in our lives. Think about it. It found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God, get this, underline it, circle it, living and active. God's word is alive. It's active. That means if it's active, it's doing something. Remember, we already talked about it's actively doing. It's alive. It's doing something. What is God's word doing? It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of the spirit, joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, that's why we get into God's word, because what God's word is going to do is it's going to reveal my intentions. It's going to reveal my heart. It's going to reveal what I desire more than anything. And if I desire things out there more than I desire God up there, He's going to reveal that to me, and He's going to bring conviction to my heart through the Word, not through the preaching of Pastor Ken. That's that's why God's Word is so important to our lives. It's so important to our prayer life. In every case... The nature of prayer is determined by the character of God. The nature of prayer is determined by the character of God. We must not decide how to pray based on what types of prayers are most effective for producing the experience and the feelings we want. We pray in response to God himself. God's word to us contains this range of discourse. And only if we respond to his word will we know our own prayer will be rich and varied. The Bible doesn't present an art of prayer. It presents a God of prayer. And the more clearly we grasp who God is, the more our prayer is shaped and determined accordingly. Now, here's the deal. Without immersing into God's word, our prayers may not merely be limited and shallow, but also untethered from reality. I want you to follow me on this. A lot of people start praying without having their prayers based on the wisdom and knowledge of God's word. Therefore, they are not attached to the reality that God has for us. And what we do is we start responding not to the real God, but to what we wish God and life were to be like. We're making it up as we go along. And if left to themselves, our hearts will tend to create a God who really doesn't exist. That's why you know people, you may have family members, but you may have friends or you may have acquaintances of people who have told you outright, right to your face, they are done with God. They're never talking to God again. They're never going to pray again because God doesn't come through for them. God's not answering their prayers. God's not doing what they wanted God to do. And the reason is, is that they have created a God in their own mind that is not the God of the Bible. And they will always be shortchanged when you do that because it's not a real God. 
It's the one we make up, the one we want to have happen. And a lot of people in the Western cultures want a God who is loving and forgiving, but not a holy, transcendent God. Most of our prayers are devoid of repentance and the joy of being forgiven. I don't know. I, you know, I didn't. I re- okay, I don't know if I should confess this or not. I don't want you to think less of me than you already think of me less. But I did record the royal wedding. But I did not watch the royal wedding. I did it for my wife and for my daughter. And I came to work that day. But anyway, um, one of the things that I learned after the whole event was over is the Episcopalian priest pastor, the African-American guy, he incorporated the word love every 13 seconds in his talk to the bride and the groom. God of love. Love, 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 love. Where's the... Where's the holiness of God? Where's the righteousness of God? Where's living your life holy unto God and loving your bride like Christ loves the church? That kind of a talk of love. Where's the talk where you repent of your sins so that you can be in communion with God? Kind of talk. A lot of people void that out. They don't want that part and they miss out on so much of it. Here's what Eugene Peter says about prayer. Let Left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything he speaks to us. There's a difference between praying to an unknown God whom we hope to discover in our praying and praying to a known God Revealed through Israel and Jesus Christ who speaks our language. The first we indulge in, in the first we indulge our appetite for religious fulfillment. In the second, we practice obedient faith. The first is a lot more fun. The second is a lot more important. What is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. What's your prayer life like? How are you praying? Probably the greatest worshiper, prayer, the man that has stood head and shoulders over every other person in the history of mankind when it comes to knowing God and being known by God is a young shepherd boy named King David. He was the second king of Israel. And you go into Psalms and you will read hundreds of his Psalms. They're they're everywhere. They're magnificent. And in David's passionate love for God, he said, I am going to make a temple for you, O God. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in response to that, God said to David, you should not build a temple. 
because I'm going to build you a house. And I'll just give you a little snapshot. I'm not giving you all the verses. It's just kind of in and out. The Lord himself, this is what he said to David through the prophet um, Nathan. The Lord himself will establish a house for you. He is the one who will build a house for my name in reference to David's um, ancestors. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David loved God so much he wanted to build a place for God. And God loved David so much that he was promising to build a house where the throne of David would be established forever. And look at what David said in response to God's promises in in verse 27. This is what David said to God after all that. He says, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. The power of God's words to David, the the promise that he made to David, encouraged David and gave him the courage to pray a prayer back to God. It, It established a heart to pray this prayer. That's what he said to him. God, you have established in me with this promise a heart that wants to pray. The word of God to David created within David the desire, the drive, the strength to pray. The principle is this. God speaks to us in his word and we respond in prayer, entering into divine conversation, into communion with God. And this is the house God promised to build David, founded in the, found in the words of Peter. All those centuries later, the fulfillment of God's words to David. David never saw it, but he believed God for it. And here's what it is in 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Who sits on the throne of that house? Jesus does. King Jesus sits on the house. He sits in your life. He resides in your life. If you have come to faith in Christ, God has guaranteed that inheritance with Jesus by placing his Holy Spirit into your life. Jesus becomes the ruler of the throne of your life. He is King Jesus. And that is what the promise of the house is to David. And it continues to go on to this day. And that house will show up and will surprise David when he's in heaven with the rest of the household of Jesus. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of thanksgiving in your heart to God. God's word of power dwells richly in all believers, giving them, that's us, hearts of praise, to sing and to pray to God with joy. And the reality is that neither David nor John the Baptist could know this relationship with Jesus like we do. We're the ones. God will not merely build us a house. He will make us a house. He will fill us with his presence, beauty, 
and glory. And every time, that is, we as Christ followers, remember who we are in Christ. That great word comes home to us and we find over and over again a heart to pray. So our strength and our hope in prayer and seeing the hand of God move throughout this world comes as we immerse ourselves in the words that God has placed in our, ha- in our hearts. He has given us a passion to respond to Him in prayer. And as we immerse ourselves in God's words, we are preparing for eternity. Because Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So, you want to pray effectively? You want to find out what prayer is? Get into God's word and let God teach you through speaking to you how to respond to him with his words in prayer. Amen? Our Father, we thank you that you have given us these words, that they are alive and active, that they are sharper than a two-edged sword, and that you have placed them into our hearts so that we can respond back to you. And I pray today, God, that you would create a response in our hearts to walk after you, that we would desire to know you better, that we would desire to communicate with you deeper, that we would desire to have your word penetrating our hearts. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.